and welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we're living for preventative mental health, love and compassion. Great to have such a lovely, diverse crowd join us from all over the world. I'm Caroline Heim, and today we're going to continue with our series, Negotiating Diversity with Insights from Science and Clinical Psychiatry. In this episode, we're going to look at a brief, fascinating history of cultural diversity, and then we're going to talk about some aspects that affect the way we treat each other now, especially when we travel. If you like these podcasts, please subscribe, spread the word, and recommend them to others. And here is Dr. Christian Hein. Hello. As usual, we're going to be having some chats along the way, so I hope you enjoy those. Okay, here we go. The development of cultural diversity. When did cultural development start? The Tower of Babel myth yields some insight. Similar myths occur in various ethnographic cultural narratives. According to the book of Genesis, humans spoke one language and were determined to build a tower to heaven. God undermined this by causing humans to speak in different languages and by scattering them across the world. Humans now couldn't understand each other, couldn't cooperate, and couldn't make it up to heaven. Understanding cooperation became much, much harder. If we could achieve understanding cooperation, it'd feel like heaven on earth. I want to just cut in there a little bit because in a way that is the the gist of what we're doing here, the whole reason that we want to negotiate cultural diversity and yeah. all diversity is so that we can understand and cooperate. Okay. 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 So you just bring that, that take home message home I right did, away. <laughs> I did. I thought, I thought I'd get that in there. Yeah, great. In our scientific understanding, however, languages and cultures evolved after we scattered ourselves into diverse landscapes. After we Homo sapiens moved out of Africa, diverse landscapes presented us with diverse problems, leading to diverse solutions. This included diverse languages. Scattering first, then language confusion. The Tower of Babel myth may not just be about language, though, but also about culture mannerisms, attitudes to time, space, disclosure, and personal relationships, and more. Scientifically speaking, we became different thanks to the environment. Environmental differences led to biological differences, such as differing skin types and colour, to help regulate the amount of sunlight penetrating the body. Environmental differences also led to linguistic differences, including various ways we recorded, stored and transmitted information, and environmental differences led to differences in culture, as we shall explore. Well, this is really interesting, okay? Um, so if you're saying that it was a scattering of humans all over the world that led to diversity, then contemporary obsession with travel and mixing cultures makes diversity issues so much more of an issue. So we need to work on this, right, to get it right, yeah? Well, it's it's not only more of an issue, but one of the reasons that we travel is to experience the diversity. Yeah. We don't actually want to travel halfway around the world to come into a city that's just like ours. Yeah. So we actually love the difference because we're challenged yeah. and we're excited. And each of our brains, well, brains basically are there to navigate an environment so that we can survive better. And so traveling takes a bit of energy, but it's the excitement, it's the broadening of our horizons that lead us to want to travel so much. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's that's a really good way in for understanding and accepting too, that excitement, yeah? It is, yeah, it yeah. is. The excitement for us seeing a different culture means that somebody from a different culture will get excited at seeing our culture. Mm. So they tend to see the place that we live with different eyes. So we can sort of think, okay, why would anybody come to our town mm. for... Uh, as a cultural destination. Yeah. And it's because it's different. The brain actually thrives on things that are different to broaden its horizons and enrich life. It feels better about itself and about all over the world. Okay, so that's certainly one step towards more diversity, acceptance of diversity. Great. Okay, moving on. Culture is basically shared behaviours, ideas and patterns. Based on evolutionary theory, we now acknowledge that we humans have a distinct cultural as well as biological inheritance. Scientifically, the following points have been made. And just before you get into those points... You keep interrupting. I'm sorry, I need to. I need to. It's part of my culture. (laughs) It's true. Okay, but this is actually a huge discovery that we don't have just a biological and genetic inheritance, but also a cultural inheritance that lies, in a sense, parallel to our biological makeup because it's our socializing that makes this cultural inheritance. So just as we uh, need each other to survive biologically, Mm. that very socialization means that we have built up this thing called culture and we inherit this and we learn about it in early childhood and in all of our people experiences. So you're saying we inherit it. So we inherit it in our DNA. Is it just, is it, come on. Okay. So uh, scientifically speaking, it's called epigenetics. Oh, yeah. So what happens on top of the DNA? Right. right? Okay. So uh, epigenetics has the ability to turn on and turn off certain genes. Uh, uh, let's say the gene for um, darker skin, all right, is, is turned on by living in a place that doesn't let in, uh, that lets in a lot of sunlight. So we make the skin a bit darker. Okay. Yeah. So th- that all has to happen physically. So also, uh, if people speak a certain language, okay, obviously somebody's going to be learning that language. But if somebody does something a certain way, like having meals at a certain time, those sort of things are learnt, but they're also shared socially with all the people around us. So it's not just a learning. It's also an experience that we all share together. Mm, yeah, it's quite complicated, but I think you get into it a bit more later I on. Do, okay. I do. So like biological factors, the evolution of language and culture is by gradual change over a long period of time. These changes develop in response to environmental factors and are adaptive to benefit survival. Okay, and and that's quite an interesting point too, yeah. because we tend to think that the diversity that we have amongst people is getting in our way at the yeah, moment. Yeah. But the diversity is actually there in its essence to benefit our survival. It's so that we can adapt to new environments, even adapt to each other so that we can all survive together. Mm, if we only all knew that, that would be great. Okay. okay. <laughs> Biological inheritance is by genetic and epigenetic expression. Epigenetics, as Christian just explained a bit earlier on, is what happens on top of the genes, particularly early life experiences which influence which genes get expressed and which don't. Cultural inheritance, too, is by genetic and more so by epigenetic influences, the behaviours of parents, kin, peers and society. Just as climate and the environment shape biological inheritance, so too do they shape culture. 
As an example, people from outback Australia often lean in to shake hands from a large distance apart, then resume their distant positions to talk. People of more densely populated countries tend to stay closer. People of colder climates wear warmer clothing and people of warmer climates wear cooler clothing, and these affect the culture of fashion and speed of movement. The culture of housing and shelter preferences, including decor, room layout, open versus closed plan living and outdoor paint colours, stem from the environment first and only later from marketing influences and personal preferences. Yes, okay, so I do want to just stop there. Um, we always notice these differences when we travel, don't we? we okay, do. like feeling like a sardine on a London tube or a New York subway, <laughs> <laughs> or when when I took the children to the USA for the first time, and they got so confused as to why they couldn't go outside without bundles of clothing, and they really wanted to run outside in the snow barefoot. Yes. So yeah, it's the same yes. sort of a thing. It's yeah. the same sort of yeah. thing because clothing is a very good example because we can see how clothing developed as a result of the environment. Yeah. Just temperature. But what is clothing these days, all right? It's yeah. it's fashion, it is. it's acceptance, it's peers, it's part of our culture. Mm. Even the colours, why do we choose certain colours for clothing? Mm. It's all part of culture. And so something else has evolved uh, aside from just the biological need to clothe the body. Yeah. Okay, great. The way people of different cultures prepare food is influenced by the local availability of foods and resources, as well as by evolved taste preferences. Attitudes towards strangers may reflect historical vigilance against enemies. More vigilance against enemies leads to more social and personal distance in all people interactions. Connectivity and migration affect how people behave towards strangers. In an area of high migration, customs may have arisen to both welcome and feel out strangers to encourage safer interactions. Geographic isolation, as in the British Isles, Japan and South Pacific Islands, may lead to fewer people sharing accepted norms and a need to be in the know about the local style of human interaction. Tribal intermingling and more people movement in Eastern Europe or mainland China may have led to more acceptance of different people doing different things. The broad principle is that geography influences people interactions and cultural norms. This can also be seen in the difference between highlanders and mountain dwellers versus people living next to the sea. The landscape influences food availability and preferences, housing materials and styles, openness of people interactions, choice of recreational sports and more. Differing sex ratios due to the effects of warfare or natural disaster may influence cultural practices around partnering, mating and dating. The availability of resources affects attitudes to end-of-life and hospitality issues, and fertility and resource availability affects attitudes to childbearing. Anything that can change language or accent, population density, isolation, mixing with other languages, sounds heard in the environment, particularly birds, time pressures, technologies, socioeconomic status, education, hegemony, political upheavals and more can change a culture. Do the sounds of birds like cockatoos and crows influence the Australian accent? I have to definitely have to say, stop here and say an absolute, absolute yes. At the moment, we have a, um, a whole influx of parrots in our backyard, rainbow lorikeets, actually, and they speak like this. And then if you go on the bus or a train and you hear some people of older generations speaking, they speak like this with their Australian accent. So it definitely influences. Well, there we go. <laughs> it's just really a statement. It's beautiful. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. There is a vast cultural difference between societies that move around. 
nomadic hunters and gatherers, and those that stay in one place, agricultural and domestic animal-based. Schools and art centres can be established in stable societies, but stories and music can follow you wherever you wander. Germs and microbes in the body influence culture. Farming, starch-rich plants and eating domesticated animals changes our microbiome, the ecology of microbes in our gut. The microbiome affects our mental health, behaviour and brain function to directly affect thinking and culture. Wow, okay, we have to stop again. This is so interesting. Are you saying that genetically engineered foods and things like that could affect our mental health? Genetically engineered food? Well, in a way, yes. Okay. Yes, yes it, it, uh, I, I just say that as a broad principle. Yeah. I do not know specifically okay, how yeah. that happens, but this is actually very recent information in psychiatry yeah. that what we eat actually affects our thinking, our feeling, and our moods. Yeah. Right. And so uh, now we realize that if we change our diet all of a sudden because we found fertile land, I'm going back uh, several thousand years here, yeah. and we can start planting wheat and mm. it doesn't all need to be meat that we're eating, yeah. that's going to affect our, our microbes in our gut, right? So genetically modified food, that would actually subtly, very subtly, have changes on what sort of microbes end up in our gut. And they could be affecting our microbes as far as we know. So by saying that, I'm giving a mechanism by which our environment could be affecting our mental health. But having said that, I do have to say we don't have any scientific evidence yet hmm. that genetically modified food is directly affecting our mental health. Okay. All right. Good. Thanks for clarifying that. But, you know, this is where those ideas begin. Well, they and do. Well, we're That's actually right. seeing there, there are ideas society. and somebody yeah. will research that area. Yeah. Okay. Technological advances like the wheel or stone tools self-evidently change culture. Since the Industrial Revolution, however, technological advances have changed culture in unprecedented ways. Flight, the contraceptive pill, computers, mobile phones and the internet have fundamentally changed the way we interact, communicate, mate and date and more. Different societies will react differently to these changes. The longer we're around and the more our development and prosperity grows and allows it, the more diverse we become. It's no wonder we humans exhibit such diversity, not only in biology, language, mannerisms, patterns and behaviours, but also in politics, religions, gender, sexual expressions and more. And that's actually no small point that uh, we've had relative peace in our society yeah. for a good 50, 60, 70, or for some people, 80 years. And so a lot of diversity is able to flourish in peacetime, whereas in wartime, uh, it's we've got to take care of ourselves, we've got to become uh, more homogenous, more the same, so that we can uh, overcome an enemy. Mm. Yeah, good point. Okay, what is culture and diversity? Simply stated, culture is the way we do life around here. Culture is, in a sense, the personality of large groups. Ultimately, as individuals, we all do life differently, uniquely, but we share many features with the people around us. Group diversity is, in a real sense, an extension of culture. Take home message, culture is the personality of larger groups. Culture is learnt as well as inherited. This is illustrated in the joke about the English couple who adopted a Vietnamese child. Ah, oh, we're both frantically learning Vietnamese so that we understand her once she starts talking. 
clearly this Vietnamese-born child will grow up speaking English. She has a biological inheritance from Vietnam, but her cultural heritage will be from the UK and from Vietnam. Her brain will harbour Vietnamese culturally informed, biologically passed on pathways. She'll grow up learning the English language and English mannerisms, expectations, social attitudes and worldview. At some stage during her teens, she may or may not rebel against these, or she may choose to explore some aspects of her Vietnamese heritage. This underlines the importance of personal choice in culture. Her Vietnamese heritage will also culturally impact her adoptive parents. If this girl has children of her own, she will genetically and epigenetically pass on a cultural heritage which is both British and Vietnamese, and her children will get to choose which aspects of their cultural heritage they will explore or develop further. Take-home message. Cultural diversity results from inheritance, learning, and choice. Different ethnicities have different cultures, but there is also culture of generations, religions, occupations, political ideologies, sexual orientations, gender expressions, and more. Individual workplaces have different cultures. I found that working culture of one hospital can be vastly different to the working culture of another. Chess enthusiasts have a different culture to bridge players. Soccer followers have a different culture to baseball lovers. There is a balance of otherness and togetherness in each diversity group. Amidst this balance, for our own survival, we aim for friendly, peaceful interactions among all humans. This is the group that unites us all, the family of the human race. Peace and unity in this group, though rarely achieved, will be best for our collective survival and flourishing. Take-home message? The aim is to survive together. Diversity means difference. Recognising diversity means recognising that we can be grouped as people while still being unique as individuals. The present-day diversity of groups is an extension of culture. It grew out of biological, psychological and social factors as we interacted with and were shaped by diverse environments. Physical environments, psychological environments and socio-cultural environments. We've reached this level of diversity thanks to our socioeconomic development. It's usual for each of us to feel comfortable within groups with which we identify and to be somewhat uncomfortable in groups which are foreign to us. It is usual to feel comfortable around like-minded similar people. With learning, time and openness, however, feelings of discomfort around others can fade. Science backs this up. Chapter 3. And we can each do things to increase comfort and decrease alienation. Chapter 4. Understanding difference in culture will facilitate understanding of difference in more diverse groups. Take-home message? It's usual to feel comfortable around groups with whom you identify. Understanding others will lead to more comfort among them. Understanding others means knowing about them and being open to their difference without stereotyping. A stereotype, originally based on factual reality, is a generalised, simplified caricature. It's often used to highlight difference and insult rather than to celebrate others. For fear of stereotyping, we often avoid talking about a culture and differences altogether. This unfortunately can lead to taboo subjects and perpetuated alienation rather than closeness, understanding and acceptance. Take-home message. A stereotype is a fixed, simplified version of a more complex reality. Fear deflects us from talking about and celebrating diversity. 
Okay, I just really want to talk about this a little bit because in our current PC climate, you can't even talk about stereotypes. Comedians can't even talk about them anymore. But we, we watch children and actually they, they deal with stereotypes using humour a lot, okay? Yes. So certainly something we can learn from. Yes, it's something that we can learn from. In fact, we can learn so much from children because uh, children will play with children no matter where they're from, no matter what their diverse background is because they haven't learnt the social norms that we, that we give them along the way. And, and the take-home message is in this difference between celebrating a culture and insulting a culture. Mm, and yeah. uh, the problem is it has been perceived quite rightly that stereotyping has been insulting people. Mm. Whereas if we made the choice to celebrate each other just a bit more and know that the feelings underneath were okay, then we'd be much finer with using stereotypes. There is something about stereotypes, and we are talking about this last time about stereotypes being kind of comforting too like like boxes are kind of comforting too I, I don't know there's just something about that well it, it has something to do with familiarity yeah that's right right yeah. so if we see something that we're familiar with and mm. let's say we see a stage play and somewhere along the line there's a character who's a stereotype mm, okay mm. let's say a stereotypical Australian wearing thongs has a hat with corks around it and has this uh, beer in his hand okay yeah. and we recognize that it's a stereotype yeah uh, we can laugh at it because yeah. we laugh at ourselves, but we also feel strangely warned yeah. uh, that we're recognised. Yeah, that's right. It feels good to be recognised. Or known, in yes. a way. Yes. You know, so yeah. Yes. So there's something about that too. That's, there's something about that. That's being thrown away in society now. If we're well, it's, it's not so much that it's being thrown away, but it's being sacrificed because we don't want this idea of insulting other people. Yeah, so no, we've made this yeah. rule. Let's not have stereotypes yes, so at all. many rules. Whereas yeah. if we can change the feelings underneath and celebrate people rather than insult them, we'd have a lot more humour. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go back to that character now. It's in the next part oh, of your is it? book. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> it's true, for example, that many Australians wear thongs, which are called flip-flops for you in North America, or go barefoot. That many Australians like their football, beer and meat pies. And that many use catchphrases like, G'day. She'll be right, it's all good, and no worries. It's not true, however, that all or even most Australians are like that. That stereotype, born almost a century ago, by the way, is becoming less and less relevant as the reality of the mix of people in present-day Australia changes. New stereotypes, based on young urban professional couples without children, the behaviours of first-generation migrants, ageing Aussies who wander the vast landscape in motorhomes, and more come and go. From stereotypical to typical, usual, unusual, atypical and eccentric, a flexible view is preferred. Take-home message. Flexibility is desired in negotiating this continuum. Stereotypical, typical, usual, unusual, atypical, eccentric. No individual is a stereotype, even though some of our behaviours may at times move into the typical or stereotypical. We can explore and appreciate diversity without making hasty judgment or giving offence. As we humans are thinking and feeling beings, feelings are important and need to be protected. Feelings underneath the mask. There are many problems of other people. They exist, they're different, they affect us, and they have the potential to hurt us. To help protect us against these problems, we wear social masks. Like a COVID mask protecting us from coronavirus, social masks protect us from feelings of harm, judgments, uneducated opinions, and malice from others. Masks mean we hide our thoughts, feelings, and intentions, but 
as we're very sensitive to each other, even if we don't like to show it, we read each other very well. We discern each other's intentions beyond the spoken words. This is done through tone of voice, expressions, behaviour, looks, innuendo, and psychologically transmitted feelings. We scientifically understand how this happens, and this will be discussed later in the book. More than learning to say the right thing while hiding hostility and prejudice, however, we can learn to foster genuine feelings of goodwill underneath our masks. If the feelings underneath are okay, then you're more likely to be forgiven for getting it wrong or saying the wrong thing. If the feelings underneath are hostile, you may be held in contempt even if you get every word right. The way to get the feelings underneath right is, as far as possible, to choose to genuinely wish other people well. Take home message. Feelings underneath the mask are important. Aim to foster genuine feelings of goodwill. Science is on our side when it comes to wishing each other well. The more you get to know people and the more exposed to their culture, the more you grow to like them. As they get to know you and your culture, the more they'll like you. Science has shown that it is normal to like people. The difficulty is that initially we feel discomfort and even hostility towards people who are different. This too has been shown scientifically. Often the choice is made to prolong the initial hostility rather than make efforts to move beyond it. With time, however, it's natural to move through curiosity to acceptance and celebration. We'll explore and elaborate on this science, the mere exposure effect, in Chapter 3. For now, I'll share the startling good news based on science. The more you're exposed to someone else's culture, the more you'll like and accept them. Take home message. The more you're exposed to people, the more you'll like them. Our present social reality does not reflect this. Unfortunately, most of history does not reflect this. Unfortunately, we're caught in a sea of difficult clashes. Clashes among people can lead to social unrest and even violence. It can lead to individual mental health issues. What goes wrong? Adverse consequences are great. This too will be explored. Preventing mental illness is part of what this book is about. Next chapter, we'll look more closely at clashes leading to mental illness and a particular framework based on anthropology and psychology to help us navigate each other's diversity. Oh, I'm looking really forward to that. So I'm still not sure how all this can lead to mental illness. So are you going to talk about that a little bit more? In the following chapters, I give specific examples as to how uh, cultural issues in particular have led to mental illness. I also talk about stigma, which is uh, branding, uh, seeing people as different. And that's part of what's going on in our society and is leading to this idea of alienation. Mm. And so alienation and loneliness lead to mental illness. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So we'll talk about that a bit next we'll time. We'll talk about that, but we have some good news coming up as well because the science is on our side if we make the right choices. Okay, great. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you like our podcast, please subscribe and also join our email list for monthly update tips on mental health. Catch you next time.